<laughs> so we, we've been going through the Gospel of John, uh, and we got to the woman at the well, and we talked a little bit about that. And then uh, I thought, man, you know, we ran into the woman's issues that Jesus addressed. And I said, well, let's just pause there in the story, and let's talk a little bit about some of those issues. Because, like, well, maybe it's not as clear as day as why those are some issues that Jesus points out because it's issues that Jesus has to free her from and it's issues that Jesus needs to free her from so that she can actually properly understand who he is and who God is. And so two weeks ago, I started talking about uh, that Jesus knows you, that he knows you. And more than that, even in that knowledge of you, he loves you. He loves you. But so today I want to ask you, how do you know God? I mean, he knows you. How do you know God? If uh, uh, before this week I've been going through the Facebook and Instagram uh, Lenten Devos in the morning, right? And Joe so uh, gracefully picked up for me this week. I will be back tomorrow morning on that as I'm feeling much better. Uh, but we've been going that, and through Ephesians, right? And Ephesians 17 tells us that we know because of we know God because of his divine power and his divine power of his will, it says. That divine power in Ephesians is his will, the will that he chooses, that he elects, that he gives us his spirit, his spirit of wisdom. And his, so he gives us, because his will, he gives us his spirit, and he gives us the revelation of the knowledge of him. This is his gift. So how do we know God? Because God reveals himself to us, and he gives that knowledge to us. First of all, he gives his spirit to us, and then he gives, through that spirit, he gives the revelation of the knowledge of who he is. That's how we know God. No one, no one can know God by just thinking, man, I want to know God. It's not how it works. God has to give him his spirit, and God has to give him the revelation, reveal himself to us that person, or to that people group, right? He enlightens the eyes of the heart, it says in Ephesians. That's that, that's that conversion, that's that born again, that's his divine will. We know God because he first knows us and grants us the ability to know him. Two very important things. We know God because first he knows us. And then he grants us the ability, the revelation, his spirit to know him. I want you to hold on to that thought for the rest of your life. <laughs> hold on to that thought. So then two weeks ago, I started talking about marriage and sexuality, and I get about two simple and weighty points that uh, Piper and Justin Taylor point out in their book, Sex and the Supremacy of Christ. And that first week, I went through that, that first point that marriage and sexuality is designed by God as a way to know God more fully in Christ. So God designs marriage and sexuality as a way to actually know him more fully in Christ. And this week is the second point, which is this, knowing God in Christ more fully is designed by God as a way to guard and to guide our sexuality and our marriages. 
I know it's kind of circular, both these things. They both kind of play off each other, right? So knowing God, the knowledge of God, his revelation of himself, him revealing himself, him giving you spirit and giving the revelation of himself in Christ is a way, is designed by God to guard and to guide the gifts of sexuality and marriage in our lives. Much as the same way as that marriage and sexuality is designed by God to actually know him more fully. And therefore, all misuses of our sexuality uh, and our sexual expression and marriage derive uh, by not having the true knowledge of Christ. So when we, we misuse it or we, we don't use the way it's designed, it comes from because we do not know Christ as well as we should. There's this, this thing in Scripture that connects it throughout every little page, this idolatry, worshiping other gods, and adultery. And adultery is not just expressed in sexual forms. Adultery is in every manner which we do. Uh, and so, but in one way when we're talking about, because of the woman, well, adultery is expressed in sexual forms. And so the two are tied in Scripture. And so the reality is when we misuse anything that God gives us, there's an adultery to it. And there's an idolatry to it. So when we misuse sexuality, there is adultery to it, and there is an idolatry to it because we don't have the true knowledge of Christ, which is meant to guard and guide us in those forms. We know God because he first knows us and grants us the ability to know him. So what does it mean to know? That's a weighted word. What does it mean to know? Right? There's three real primary meanings to know in scripture. The first one is the one we use all the time the word know for, right? It's a cognitive meaning to understand, to become acquainted to, to, to know something. I know it cognitively. I know a fact. It's in my mind. I know it. The second way is actually, and we know this a little bit in scripture, is to know is to have sexual intimacy, right? In Genesis 4.1, now Adam knew Eve, his wife. That was, that's not cognitive knowledge here. This is more than that. This is sexual intimacy. And then she conceived and bore knowledge because you can't conceive a child by just having knowledge of someone. Just want to let you know, parents, you can talk to your children about that. All right, and then we get it in Matthew 1, 24, 25. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not. He didn't have sexual relations with her. This is a really... This, this is the biggest word in Scripture for Joseph, until, until. Joseph probably, if he, had, if he had this Scripture, he would have underlined this one. Until she had given birth to a son, which means he did know his wife sexually. He did. They had other children. Really important for Joseph and for his other kids. Right? So this is sexual knowledge. And the third one which really we're going to lay into today. The third one is to acknowledge as a covenant partner. I know you. You and I belong together in a different and unique way than everyone else, right? When we, that's a marriage. When you have a marriage, like when you say, I do, and you and I are, are one, we are different. I know you different than everyone else in the world. That's unique. It's special. It's a relationship that's different. And so God has a covenant knowledge of his people in a corporate sense. In Amos 
He says, God says this to Israel. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Forget the second part for a moment. <laughs> but, now, God obviously knows all people in the world. He has cognitive knowledge of all people in the world. But here it's just saying, you, Israel, you and I are special. You and I belong to each other. That you, you and I have a unique relationship, which is why he's disciplining them. There's also individually God talks to people about that. In Jeremiah 1.5, before I, God says to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. This isn't cognitive. It is cognitive knowledge, but it's also covenantal knowledge, Jeremiah. I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. You belong to me. And I appointed you a prophet to the nations. In the womb, before he was born, God had a covenant relationship with Jeremiah. So there's a corporate sense to this. There's an individual sense that this covenant knowledge that God has. That's really important to understand in your relationship with God. You have a corporate relationship with God, and you have an individual relationship with God. And they both are covenantal in nature. So this, these three uses of no are connected by a, not a double entendre, but a triple entendre. It has triple meanings to it in the marriage metaphor in our relationship with God. God cognitively knows this. God has this. That we don't have sex with God. I just want to let, be very clear about that. But the idea of sexual intimacy is a metaphor for deep intimacy, passionate intimacy with God. God is passionate with us. And then he also has a covenant. He makes promises to us as well. He uniquely knows us. Right? So the marriage and sexual language imagery in the Bible and created in the universe is used to describe the covenant relationship with God and his people. That's the purpose of it. God knowing us as his covenant people. God knowing us in a passionate, intimate way. This is the imagery. that This is why God designs marriage and sexuality is for this purpose to point to a greater purpose. All the things in this world, all the pleasures and joys in the world point to a greater purpose. All the pleasures that you receive in the world are shadow pleasures that point to an eternal reality, and the eternal reality is that God is the eternal pleasure. And these things should not be rejected, but they should be used and enjoyed and celebrated in the manner in which they are designed and used to be pointed to. And likewise, so our marriage and sexuality should be used and created in the way that they are designed and pointed to, to point to our particularly the relationship with God has with us. Because God's describing marriage, gives us marriage to describe his relationship with his people. That's the purpose of every marriage union on this planet, is to point to the eternal marriage that God has with his people. And we're going to talk about more how sexual expression points to that maybe next week or two weeks. We'll, we'll get there. Yeah. But so you understand that it's this, this shadowlands kind of thing that C.S. Lewis talks about, right? All the things are just shadows of the, of the eternal reality of all things. Let's break this down a little bit. You know, Hosea 2, 14 to 20, which, you know, we know the story of Hosea. Hosea marries a prostitute, and it's a pretty tough life. For Hosea, but it's a lesson for us, and it's a lesson that God is teaching Hosea about faithfulness. Therefore, behold, I will allure her 
and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. Did you hear that language? God will woo her. God will speak tenderly. It's like he's speaking, you know, sweet, sweet nothings in your ear, right? God is tenderly wooing his bride. And God gives in this passage. God gives. He is the promise maker. And he is the promise keeper to this bride. And God gives freedom. His faithfulness. His love gives us freedom. She's out like, like out of Egypt from that oppression. I will give you. And goes on in verse 16. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. And no longer will you call me my Baal. Immediately connection to idolatry. Baal is a fertility god. For I will remove the names of Baals from your mouth, and they shall be remembered by my name no more. Think of what God is like. I'm going to love you. I'm going to marry you. You're going to call me husband. There's no action of the bride here. This is all what God is doing and expressing. I'm going to take the idolatry in your life, and I'm going to remove it, and you're not even going to speak about it. You're not even going to know about it. I'm going to plunge that from you, expunge it. It will no longer. God will provide proper knowledge of him to his bride and take everything that's false out of our mouths. Goes on in verse 18. And I will make for them a covenant promises on that day and with the beasts of the fields, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things on the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, the war from the land. This sounds pretty good. And I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me for Ever. Now that's different than our marriages. This is a forever marriage. Your marriage is temporary. Temporary. Your marriage with God is forever, which is a big clue to you that your marriage ought to point to the eternal marriage. I will betroth to you in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. This is what God does. This is how God reveals. God makes a covenant. He makes a promise. It's a grace relationship with his bride, who's a prostitute. (laughs) He brings his bride to safety, to peace, to a place where there is no war or harm or hurt. Betroth us in his faithfulness. Not in ours, not in ours, but in his. And he will make us faithful. And the result in all of that will be that we will know the Lord. We will know him. He grants us the ability to know him in this covenant, intimate relationship. Truly knowing Christ leads us to purity purity in our sexuality, and our marriage. 
your actions, your ability, your strength, your will will never lead you to purity. Try it and find out. You'll never get there. I mean, that's the, that's the whole thing of this world, right? That we are all impure, not just sexually, we are all impure. And the one who is pure comes into the world, and they, you know, everyone freaks out because all the impure, unclean people touch Jesus, and Jesus is like, I'm not worried about it. I make people pure. They don't make me impure. I'm the one that makes them pure. Because that's the way it works. We never make ourselves pure. It's Christ that makes ourselves pure, holy, godly, and that's his purpose to move us to be like him. Knowing God in Christ more fully is designed as a way of guarding and our guiding our marriage and our sexual expression, making impure things pure. The negative of this the, right, is not knowing God leads to impurity, right? which is where we're all at, Right? We don't have proper knowledge or, or more full knowledge of God. And so that's why we're here. Or our impurity, our impurity leads us to distorting the true knowledge of God. Things are tied together. We get this idea in Romans 1, 23, 24. And exchange, these people exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creepy things. Therefore, because they were did this, they gave up this knowledge. God gave them up to their lust, of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they chose the idolatry to go after other gods and make other things, God said, go ahead, live in that, and see where that gets you. And it gets you into all sorts of trouble. Distorted image of God? untruths about who God is leads you into impurity and all kinds of recklessness. Goes on in Romans 1.28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge, did you hear that word? Knowledge. To acknowledge, to be in that covenant relationship with God, to even acknowledge his presence cognitively, God gave them up. Remember, God is the one that gives us the true knowledge. God gave them up, go ahead, to a debased mind and do what ought not to be done. You see how those two things are interconnected here in Scripture? All the time. Knowing God, God giving you knowledge of himself leads to purity. God is the one. Not your abstinence, not your will, but God does this for us. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3-5. through For this is the will of God. Listen up. Everyone asks me all the time, what's the will of God in my life? Well, here's a passage for you. That you abstain, that your sanctification, this is the will of God in your life, that he is making you holy. That he once were something else, he's changed you through his justification, made you righteous, not in your own righteousness, but in his righteousness, and he's going to make you holy, make you pure, make you godly in a long process that's really painful for us. That's what sanctification is. This is the will of God in life, that you do not stay the same, that he's going to change you. And it goes on further, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you don't know how to control his or own body in holiness, 
and in honor, not in the passions of lusts like Gentiles who do not know God. It's not say, this is not what the will of God says in your life. That you control your body, that you are, are holy, that you are uh, sexually moral, and therefore your sanctification. It's not that way. It's the other way around. God is doing a work in you, and these are some of the fruits of that work. This is what it looked like. Here's what you need to know. We learned this in Ephesians. God's will happens. It happens. It doesn't like, how. Oh, I wish this could happen. If I was ruler of the world, I wish this would happen. No, it happens. He wills something and it happens. It's very simple. And God says, this is my will for your own life, that I give you this knowledge. We don't know how to control we don't know how to control our behavior. We don't know how to control our will or to control our actions until God gives us the knowledge and, and his spirit to be able to control some of these actions, to have self-control. Notice right here, it says here in verse 5 of that uh, Thessalonians, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Tied once again to the actions and knowledge of God. And the Gentiles, if, simple way of understanding Gentiles is non-covenantal people. Non, God has a covenant of people of Israel. What you read in the Old Testament is just not ethnic Israel. It's all everyone else. And Gentiles really is referred to non-covenant people of God, right? Most of us are Gentiles in here, right, by ethnicity. But we are covenant people of God now. So don't think that you're outside of this. Literally, the knowledge, knowledge is power here. God's knowledge that he gives you of himself is power to begin to be sanctified. 1 Peter 1, 14-15. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Right? This is sanctification. God is calling us to be different. God is calling us to change. You can't be like your former self. You're my children. Covenant knowledge. Covenant children chosen by God to know him, to be formed in a new passion, not in the former ignorance. God is holy, and God is calling you to be like him and restoring that image. We all have the image of God, every person in human, and God is restoring the broken image that we have, that we create. And Philippians 1.6 says, right, the work of God that he started, he will finish. If he starts a work in you, he will finish it. And so he will finish it. This is God's will. Ephesians 4, 22, To put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Wrong internal knowledge being replaced. God is going to put in a different knowledge of who he is through his revelation, and then he's going to move us on a path. This is not you putting in the correct knowledge. This is God's divine revelations. Uh, Piper says it in, this, in that book I referred to in page 33. The desires of the body lie to us. All desires of our body lie to us. They make deceitful promises. Promises that are half true. And look at half-truths go a lot farther than an uh, outright lie. Uh, half-true, as in the Garden of Eden. And we are powerless to expose and overcome those half-truths unless we know God, really know God, his ways, 
and works and, and words embrace with growing intimacy and ecstasy. I love how God, Piper talks about our relationship with God in these passionate ways. Distorted desires, God is transforming in this instance, and this is what I'm talking, I'm talking about, is transforming our sexual expression, our sexuality, by true knowledge of him. Having true knowledge, covenantal, intimate knowledge of him. Goes back to Hosea 2.20. I will, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. This is what God does. I will be intimate with you. I will, I will have a covenant relationship, and you will know me. And then once you know God, and he knows you, things begin to change. Colossians 3.10 having put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image its creator. Did you hear that? The new self, how is it being renewed? In the knowledge. Is it cognitive knowledge? Yes, in part. Is it intimate knowledge of God? Yes. Is it covenantal knowledge with God? Yes. It's all three of those things. The right knowledge of God, proper relationship with God gives us in the image of his creator which gets us actually to the passage which we read today. <laughs> For 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4. I mean, Jesse read more, but 3 through 4. His divine power. What's his divine power? His will. His will. His will always happens. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of him. Through the knowledge. Through the intimate knowledge, through the cognitive knowledge, through this covenantal knowledge, right? That is, God grants us through that knowledge all things that pertain to life. All things that pertain to godliness is where, where he's bringing us to. Into the image of our creator. And it goes on to say, who called us is kind of a subset of this, right? Paul has all these kind of subset, right? Parentheses, right? The God who called us to his own glory and his excellence, right over here, right? By which he's granted to us his very precious and very great promises. Because God wills it, because God promises, that's how we get there with the proper knowledge. So that, this is the purpose, that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, which he's transforming us to be, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. Through the knowledge and promises of God, we become partakers in the divine nature. Is it through your promise? Is it through your knowledge of God that you just ascertained by yourself? No. It's his gift. It's his will. Knowing God more fully in Christ is his design to guard and guide our sexual. It's not to oppress it. It's to celebrate it in its proper form, to celebrate it the way it's meant to be celebrated, to, to, to celebrate marriage in the way it's meant to be celebrated, that it actually points to his marriage of us. All misuses of marriage and sexuality derive from not having the true knowledge of him more fully. All 
our broken sexual desires and expressions, all of them pull us away from God. Likewise, you can say, all of our sinful desires, our improper desires of all things, pull us away from God, from the un- actually knowing who he is into true knowledge, into true intimacy, and true relationship with him. It distorts the truth about him. And listen, this is why your sin is never private. This is why it's never private, because it distorts the true image of him in yourself and to others. When you live out and you distort marriage and your sexuality in ways that it's not most me, you are distorting the image of God to others. You're distorting the message of God. You're distorting the purpose of God. You're distorting the true knowledge of God to others in all our sins and in our sexuality and our marriage. This is why it's never private. It's why I'm just harming myself or the other person, if you're willing to acknowledge that. No, you're harming everyone else. This is why it's so devastating. Your promiscuity, our adultery, our lust, our illicit fantasies, our interior thoughts are distorting the true knowledge of God in ourselves. Our uh, pornography, masturbation, homosexual behavior, rape, child abuse, bestiology, exhibitionism, and so on and so forth and whatever, and all of them are distorting and rewiring the true knowledge of God in ourselves and communicating something about who God is not to others in an incorrect way. We distort the true knowledge of God for ourselves and for others. God designed marriage and our sexual life to be a pointer and a foretaste of our intimate relationship with him. Period. Period. Enjoy it. Celebrate it. Be in it. It's a gift. But understand that it points to something else, that there is a greater meaning to it. Hear the good news clearly. I hope you heard it throughout the day. Hear the good news clearly. God is the one who gives true knowledge himself. And we started this in Hosea, right? Hosea, when he's talking to God, is talking to a prostitute who is whoring herself out. And God's like, I'm going to give you the true knowledge of who I am. I'm going to change you by the gift of his spirit by the gift of the revelation of who he is, knowledge of himself. This is his grace. This is his action, the Holy Spirit, this this understanding of wisdom that liberates us and frees us from the distorted knowledge of, of creation and God that transforms our desires and transforms our sexual expression. This is what God is doing for us. This is how we are designed. The true knowledge of him guards and guides our outward expression of love and sexuality. So let's get pra- a little bit practical here as we work through our sanctification because right, Philippians talks about we work through our sanctification. This is God's gift, but we still are living it out. You and I know this. This is our experience in life. That we're struggling through this. We're working out our... But it's not you're abstaining from those things or 
hey, I'm not doing certain things and other things I'm doing right. That's not, that's not sanctifying you. Make that very clear. It is not sanctifying you. That might be the fruit of what God is doing, but if I, I, I hear some pride, or if you hear some pride in yourself, look what I'm doing, man, I doubt that's fruit then. I think it's a distorted of the gospel. If you're falling or hurting in some of these areas, abstaining or correcting the behavior won't make you pure. Christ makes you pure. God makes you pure. This is the failure of the Just No campaign with drugs. Right? I don't know if you know this campaign, Just, just Say No. That's one of the worst spend, ways of spending money in our government in history. Because you go up to a kid or get up to a, hey, just say no to drugs. Yeah, but my life really sucks. Or there's things going on and I'm hurt and I pain, right? This relieves it. Why don't we actually try to solve and worry about some of the underlying issues of the person? Just say no. I mean, say that to yourself. When, and the sin that you're like, if I just say no, well, there's a reason why you do these things. There's a reason. God is making you pure. This is his gift, his active. The behavior, that behavior that we are in, sidetracks a relationship with him, but it doesn't remove us from a relationship with him. It doesn't remove us. Because it's God's will in his life. It may, it may sidetrack our proper understanding of God, but God says, I'm going to do this. Right? So for a moment in time, you might be misled, you might be distorted in your image, but look at God's going to turn you back. If you're in a covenant relationship, and, and he turns you back, there's an action that's correlated to you, and the fruit to, is repentance. I'm going to turn away from my actions and then live out this way in which he guards and designs and created it for. A couple ways that turning back might look like, right? Turning back might look like being in community and the word. If you're struggling with any issues of sexuality or in marriage or anything in your life, be in community. Be in community with God's bride. Not that they're perfect, but be in community. Share your struggles. And this is so important. You are not the bride. We are the bride. You are not the bride, but we are the bride, so be together. Pray for God in the moments, for God, for his spirit to reveal the true knowledge of himself. This is his gift. This is what he said he would do. God, reveal your true knowledge of yourself to me. Get back into the study of God's word. Get back to church. Get into accountability. Go to counseling. I don't know why there's some deep issues in your life, but there are. The healthiest people I know actually go to counseling. Right? Maybe some sexual addiction groups. Accountability. AA kind of sexual. I don't know what they call them. SA? SA. That just brings me back to English, essay. <laughs> Sexual addiction groups, right, or accountability groups. They will not fix you, but they can support you. They can support you. Understand, they will not fix you. Who fixes you? God fixes you. God makes you pure. God puts you on the road of sanctification. God gives you the true knowledge of himself. And he designs these things so you have a true knowledge, and he designs these things so you actually appoint it to a certain way. True knowledge Guides, protects these things. These things are meant to guard and protect the true knowledge of Christ, which gets you to where he's bringing you. Two simple and weighty points about sexuality. Marriage and sexuality is designed by God as a way to know God in Christ more fully. All misuses of marriage and sexuality distort the true knowledge of God. 
And this point this week we headed on is knowing God in Christ more fully is designed as a way of guarding and guiding our sexuality in our marriages. All misuses of our sexuality derive from not having the true knowledge of Christ. And there's a correlation to our understanding who Christ is and our expressions of our marriage and our, and our sexuality. First week said, God knows you. And he loves you. He loves you. Let that sink in. He loves you and knows everything about you. And you can know God because God is providing that knowledge to you. He's providing his spirit and providing the knowledge that God gives that you can know God. So that, so that, you know why God gives you the knowledge of him, a revelation of him? So that, this is the debt you owe God. You can't pay the debt. You can't pay the debt for all your sin. Christ pays that debt for you at the cross. Do you understand that? You can't pay the debt of all your sin. You can't pay the debt of the justice. You can't turn that around. Christ does that at the cross. But what is the debt that you can pay? He's given you love. And what does he say? You have in Romans 13, it could be Romans 12. You have a debt of love. Nothing else you can do. Love me, love God, and love your neighbor. That's the debt you owe. There's nothing you can do to make yourself more righteous. And what's fascinating about that thing, the debt that you owe, the way that God wires it, is that way he's making you in this true knowledge and into the proper understanding relationship of your sexuality and marriage. The reality is the expression, the debt that you owe, is, is, the, is the character of God. Love. Do you love God? And do you love her? You can't unless he knows you. Let's pray. Gracious, gracious Father, I am so thankful that you love, that you love me, that you love these people, that you love me despite who I am. I'm, I'm thankful that you give me the true knowledge of who you are and that, Lord, that you pull me back when I wander away, when I fall away, when I have distorted images of you that you reveal the true image and the true knowledge of you because you are faithful, because you are righteous, because you are just. Lord, help us today. Guide us in our marriages. Guide us in the way we express our sexuality. Guide us in the true knowledge of you as individuals and as a community. Thank you for this grace. And thank you for this love. We pray this in Jesus' name.